This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports, used to be Scout, used to be Rivals, used to even be the Insiders. You know, speaking of that, Brandon, how, you know, what was it when uh, when you started? What was the network it was, name? It was the Insiders when I started, and then probably, what, about a year later it became Scout, and then, what, Fox bought it probably a year after that. And then we went through that whole thing and then got sold back to Scout and then bankrupt. So I go back to the insider day. I was after I was a subscriber and a reader on the old original rivals days. In fact, that's how I got my start. I was writing for Pac-10 Digest. I'm sorry, the College Football Digest, writing about the Pac-10 on the very original rivals network. And then when that first dot com bubble burst, I went and still wrote college football stuff for Pac-10 Digest, or for, for College Football Digest. See, it's been so long, I can't remember the name of it. And when I was at another site, it's when I ran into Tracy Pearson and Gary Paskowitz, and they said, come right and cover recruiting over at The Insiders. So I did, and the rest is history, and y'all are stuck with me. Do you remember when we were super husky? I Yes, that was like right the original. It was That was when everybody was trying to go the, the super prep route, if I remember right, from the old CEO trying to get Alan Wallace, who he eventually did get, and everything was super something, and super prep was kind of the uh, the main guy, if I remember right. You bring up Alan Wallace, and there were some guys like Alan Wallace back in the day when money was free-flowing, where there was so much money being thrown around. It was stupid. Were you one of those guys that got a lot of money thrown around? <laughs> I back definitely did not get a no, definitely came in at the wrong time, or I guess at the right time when there was actually a little bit more structure and less Silicon Valley, just madness with money being thrown around. But yeah, in fact, I also wrote for Alan Wallace for Super Prep Magazine, did his West beat for a lot of years. And yeah, I mean, it's it's funny just to see how this all came along. The, the, my, it was my eighth grade English teacher who really got me into recruiting in 1989 1990-ish he was a notre dame grad and so he got blue gold illustrated but he was you know subscribing to alan wallace and max Emfinger and tom lemming and was you know the guy that kind of got me hooked on recruiting and that was when you had to call 1-900 numbers to get the scoop <laughs> we were involved in that for a couple of months and it was stupid how much money we made in a couple months but that then we started the you know it just took over took off on the internet you, you weren't part of this when uh, heckman shipped us all to vegas we all got <laughs> private rooms at the venetian laptops arliss was there and uh mike Shan mike shanahan and yeah i remember the hearing those stories so that was after that was before i came in but i remember tracy pearson gary paskowitz telling me those stories the, the letterman's jacket with the leather sleeves that had rivals on it and you know just the the all-nighters and of course 
when Scout was bought back in 2013 from Fox and they were off to cons, they were still trying to do the same thing and blowing money on yachts in Paris or France or wherever cons is. So it seems like some things didn't change, but I always seem to miss when it really got exciting and fun and the money was flowing. I never really got to experience that, sadly. Didn't Tracy get a truck or something? He did. That was, and that was just a few years ago. He won a truck for having the most video views. And the, the, the funny thing about that time was we were doing the Scout Nows. And I'll never forget, it was on September 11th. I was flying to Dallas and I ended up I was waiting for my buddy to, to arrive in Dallas. We were going to an Angels and Rangers game, hitting some college football games. And I remember getting on this conference call that Scout Nows were going to change the world. Scout Nows were going to be what we were going to do for the next year. And it was going to completely change recruiting. It was going to completely change digital sports. And we spent the next year doing these Scout Nows. But over the course of that time, Tracy had already been using video for all the post-practice press conferences. So he already had a high number of video users. So Jim Heckman was doing this contest that the, the site that got the most video views would win a brand new truck. And Tracy won that. So I don't think he ever got the truck. I think he took the cash instead of the truck. But <laughs> just reckless money getting thrown around, stupid money being thrown around. What's a guy covering UCLA football down, living down in L.A. going to do with the truck? Seriously. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're, the gas is already like $19 a gallon as it is. And you're just going to sit in traffic with it. Might as well use the money to pay for gas for your hybrid car. Yeah, well, if it makes you feel any better, we weren't any part of those big cash things, except for the lawsuit back in the day. We signed a non-disclosure on that. I don't think we could talk about it. Yeah, I could talk about it. I remember, <laughs> and, and I remember in 2007 when a number of sites left the Scout.com family to go to ESPN, and you know, our our good friend, the late Gary Paskowitz, I think it was the only West Coast guy that at that time left. And a lot of other national sites and many of those national sites have found their way to 24-7. So they're, we're all kind of working back together. But it's always fun to just talk about some of the stupidity and jackassery that went on with former leadership. I could do this all day. Oh, yeah. I mean, we got a we got a contract from ESPN and I'm looking at the contract and I'm going, what? What? <laughs> so, uh, and I never anyway. signed a non-disclosure <laughs> yeah, we're in a good place. You know, this, we're probably in as good a place as we've ever been. So um, we're happy. Um, you know, somebody asked me, wanted me to ask you about uh, you working with Greg and uh, Greg Biggins and Blair Angulo, who, you know, we've known Greg for so long. And uh, you know, Greg, I mean, Greg's been doing this forever. He sh is he 75 years old because he looks like he's 25. Yeah, he's, he's I think he just turned. 77 but he looks about 21 he uses his kids ids to get into clubs because he looks so young i know i mean i'll be texting with greg and i'm sitting in my office he's like oh sorry huff i was at the gym working out and i was like yeah i was thinking about doing that today but greg actually does go to now, this was before the the lockdown so greg has been social distancing but yeah he i mean i remember reading greg on the old pack west football message boards back in the late 90s and I remember when I first got hired to work in recruiting in Southern California, um, I was covering just UCLA and USC recruits. And Greg was the West Coast guy at that time. And I getting to work with him was awesome because this is a guy that I had read for you know the previous four or five years. And probably about six months after I started, Greg and the student sports crew went over to Rivals. So then I had to work against Greg 
in that same market. And as you can imagine, that was not a lot of fun. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget the night where he called me. I was down in Portland, Oregon at Central Catholic against Jesuit at the Holy War. And Greg called me and Joel Cox had been talking to him about coming over to scout and Greg called me and I spent the entire game on the phone. That was, if you, if you Husky fans remember Jake Worthen, he was doing yeah. Northwest stuff at that time. I was said, Jake, you got to watch this game. And there was a lot of talent on that field that day. Like you got to pay attention. I, I need to go handle something more important. And literally for the entire football game, I was on the phone with Greg trying to get him to come over and, Four months later, the day after signing day, Greg came over and we've been compadres ever since. And, you know, we we literally have the best in the business and Greg Bidney's at 24-7 Sports. I mean, this is a guy who talks about being at Nike camps when they might have been called the Reebok Combines with guys like Andre Johnson and Tom Brady were high schoolers. I mean, that's how long he's been around. And, you know, nobody is more connected and dialed in than Greg nationally, locally, regionally. And so... It was a pretty, pretty exciting day when we got to work with each other instead of work against each other. And we've got a pact that neither one of us are going to work in this industry without the other. And that's why 24-7 and, and Dogman and everybody on that network stuck with us for at least three more years. Yeah, no. I mean, we just signed a three-year contract extension. So so did you. So we're golden. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, hey, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, Greg being around since Tom Brady and those kind of guys. You know, I want to talk to you a little bit about, you know, we're watching the NFL draft and it's. You watch it differently than we tend to look at it because a lot of these guys, we may know the names, we may know the school, but, you know, tell me what it's like watching, you know, an NFL draft and seeing guys that you've known, some of them since they were freshmen in high school, and you know some of the trials and tribulations some have gone through, and you just know if who's got the baggage, who doesn't, you know, what's it like for you watching the draft and seeing Joe Burrow going first, uh, Tua Tongavaloa go, you know, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's incredible. I mean, you see a lot of the paths these guys go through. And I mean, Jordan Love's a, a perfect example. The, the first kid from California drafted. He goes in the middle of the first round or late in the first round. And I remember him being the backup on his seven on seventeen behind a five foot nine, hundred seventy pound quarterback from Palm Springs. And they're down in Vegas in 2015. They won the Big Pylon National Championship. And Jordan Love maybe threw the ball. 10 times over the entire weekend. And a big reason he was on that team was his teammate, Chris Barnes, who was a linebacker out of Bakersfield, ended up playing at UCLA and signed a free agent contract, was his ride down. But, you know, here he was, a backup on his seven-on-seven team, and he ends up being the first player from the state of California picked, you know, and and you go into the second round. I remember my dad's been um, on staff at Oaks Christian for a decade, and I remember going to Oaks Christian in the spring of, gosh, 2014 might have been spring of 2013 even and he introduced me to michael Pittman jr who had just transferred in from i want to say like antelope valley or lancaster high school and transferred in to oaks christian hadn't started yet hadn't even really been on the field much at Oak christian at the time and of course we all knew who michael Pittman was because his dad had played in the nfl and I remember that fall going down and see him playing Notre Dame High School at Oaks Christian and just watched him destroy a kid and thinking, you know, this kid could be a future star NFL safety. 
Well, he ends up being a receiver at USC, ends up being the first, the second player from the state of California picked. And I remember when this kid wasn't even starting on his own high school team, and now he's the second player from the state picked in the draft. You know, And then you know, obviously going and seeing Skinny Easton when he was a freshman, going and seeing Ezra Cleveland you know, in his junior year before he had any offers. And it's just always fun to see where those guys are at and then track how the progression goes. And some obviously go far higher than I would have ever expected. Some go far lower than I would have ever expected. Some kind of go where you kind of figured they would be. But it's always fascinating to watch the guys that you think are, are, you know, going to be the surefire things and they don't get picked or they get picked later. And, you know, there's just it just shows there's so much minutia. There's so much in the process of evaluation and development in the NFL scouting process. And, you know, it, it, it always blows my mind too. just, how there's some guys that are literally off the beaten path in no mansville and they find a way to get drafted. And then guys who literally were stars in high school, even stars in college, and they find themselves not getting drafted or going late. You know, the, the science to it is inexact. We've been doing this a long time. And I always say, you know, I just get to be a fan of certain individuals. I get to be a fan of the kids. I don't care where they go to school because some of these kids are just such amazing kids. You know, give me a, give me one or two feel good guys that you were just really happy because they were just such cool kids and great kids when they got drafted. Cause I know there's gotta be a couple that you go. Yeah. He deserved that. Yeah. I mean, you talking in just this particular draft or just in general, maybe one in this draft and maybe in general. Yeah, okay. so, you know, one guy that I was always, and I think Washington fans will, will love this answer. I, I remember when he was a freshman in high school watching Buda Baker at Bellevue and, you know, seeing him his sophomore year in the state championship game. He took a kickoff back probably 99 yards. And just then I'm like, this is the best kid in the state of Washington. I get two more years to watch this guy. And, you know, I, a lot of fans will, or a lot of people know that I have a 14-year-old son who's an eighth grader who's going to be a freshman this fall. And I used to take him to camps in seven-on-seven tournaments since he was probably, I mean, Kim, you probably remember seeing him when he was four or five years old at these camps and, you know, jumping on the the high jump mats. And I, I just remember Buddha at a camp. Gosh, Buddha had had maybe more than just a Washington off at the time. And he's over there tossing the ball with my son. And, you know, just seeing where, you know, guys like him are, they're the star at their school. They're the star in their town. They're the star in their state. And, you know, just even then, here he is throwing the ball with a little five-year-old kid who probably has no idea who this kid is, has no idea what a good football player, but that's the kind of stuff, the stories that my son remembers, where he goes to these camps. And, you know, it's been great to see Buddha flourishing in the NFL. Uh, I still say that he's the best player that I've seen in the state of Washington since I moved up here. Um the I think he was obviously guys like Jonathan Stewart, Reggie Williams might have rated higher. But in terms of what Buddha did in games, I mean, it was it was unlike anything I've seen since I moved up here in 2004. But I look back at what Buddha just did as a person. So I, I've always been been really excited to see, you know, what Buddha has done. Um, I, I will say Jordan Love. I mean, it, it's kind of cliche. I could use him. He would be another one, uh, largely because, you know, his father lost his t- lost his life I think a year year and a half before Jordan signed with Utah State and again he was relatively overlooked in that 2016 class as a quarterback as a player didn't have a lot of offers goes to Utah State and I mean if you would have told me five years ago Jordan Love would be the first quarterback pick if you would have told me five years ago Jordan Love would be drafted I wouldn't have believed you but I mean here's a guy who had all the reason in the world to just stop caring about football and after his father passed away and, and he didn't, and it turns into, you know, a great situation. And I mean, 
you go look at one of the most stable franchises in pro sports, and they're willing to draft him in the first round. He's another guy. And then, then lastly, I'd probably say Colby Parkinson. You know, and part of that's just from a bias standpoint. You know, I'm always a big fan of kids from Ventura County, being that I'm from Ventura County. But I remember, you know, meeting Colby, too, when he was a sophomore. He didn't have any offers. In fact, I think Washington might have been his first offer. Um, he didn't have any offers, but I, I just looked at him. I watched him run, and I'm like, this kid is going to be an NFL draft pick. Now, I thought he'd end up being a first-rounder. I think he fell victim to Stanford's inept quarterback play this last year. But, I mean, just a phenomenal kid and, you know, 4.0 student. Just just the greatest, nicest, sweetest kid, you know, from Ventura County and another kid that, you know, you just you've got to see develop as a person on and off the field and you really root for it. So there's a lot of cases like that. There's a lot of stories like that where, you know, guys that you saw early on, you're just like, man, I'm pulling for this kid. Tell people how big Colby Parkinson is. I mean, he's gigantic. He's legit. I think he measured six, seven and a quarter maybe at the NFL combine. And, you know, funny thing is, so his dad actually works at Oaks Christian. His dad's the the CEO of the school. And so he's actually my dad's boss, which I also think is kind of funny. Um, but, you know, his dad's probably only six, three, six, four. I mean, Colby looks like a guy who could be a power forward in college hoops and just those soft hands. And he, he's mammoth. And, I always said he was kind of a combination of everything Stanford was recruiting in a in a tight end with the hands with you know all you take all the the tight end Stanford's had in the last twelve years you know the height of Levine Toilolo the hands of a Zach Ertz the physicality of a Kobe Fleener I mean he just kind of had it all and so I think he's kind of a steal where he was picked but just a, a gigantic kid and the, and the kind of kid that you know when he's done with football he'll probably finish his degree at Stanford probably go mess around and get a master's too just for fun. You know, you mentioned Buddha. You know, tell people about the story. I remember being down at the opening, and when you get down to the opening, it's the best of the best. And you got guys, you know, peacocking. You got guys down there with entourage. The egos sometimes are through the roof. And there's Buddha, who wasn't very big. Nobody knew who he was. But by the end of the first day, everybody knew who Buddha Baker was. And he was on probably. I, I still say that the 2014 class in the last decade might be the most talented class in the history of modern recruiting. I mean, if you look at the guys that were in the top 10, top 20 in that class, that class had it all. You had guys like, you know, Cam Robinson and um, Jabril Peppers and you had Leonard Fournette. You had you know Joe Mixon. You had uh, Adoree Jackson, Juju Smith. You had Buddha. And Buddha's team at the opening finals was loaded. It had Kyle Allen, who was the number one quarterback in the country. You had Joe Mixon, who I think was the number two running back in the country after Leonard Fournette. You had, I think, Royce Freeman was also on that team, who was like the number three tight end or running back in the country. You had all these superstars on this team. And Buddha was playing offense that entire week, if you remember. He was yep. on his team as an athlete. So each team had an athlete that could play DB, he could play offense. And Buddha just was, he, he was never much of a talker. He'd go out and his play would speak for himself. And, and when you're looking at this team as it gets put together, you see Kyle Allen, you see Joe Mixon, you see Royce Freeman, you see all these superstars on this team. 
And Buda Baker just started to become Kyle Allen's best friend over the course of that week. He was catching everything. And I remember in the old scout days, he made our all super team at the opening because he was just so dang good. And he worked out at DB in the Nike camp portion of the opening, but then he would go play offense in the seven on seven portion. And I mean, he was clearly the best player from the state of Washington in that class, but he really showed he was an elite prospect nationally and I think I even said it at, at the time then, you know, when, when he didn't make, I think he was like the 37th ranked player at scout in that class. But he was a guy that I said, in retrospect, I wish he would have been a five star. And I think he was just such a great player. But like you said, there's a lot of guys that peacock, a lot of guys that stretch their stuff. Buddha was almost forgotten at times by people because he was so humble. He was so modest, and he just didn't have that arrogance to him. He just had that quiet confidence. The other thing I remember about that uh, opening was uh, the three running backs. Todd Gurley showed up. Leonard Fournette was there, and Najee Harris was only a junior in high school. And out of all of them, I was looking at Najee Harris, who's now at Alabama, and I'm going, who in hell is that guy? Those camps were always great, too, because you get guys like Richard Sherman would come down. You know, you had Odell Beckham would come out and you would see the size of some of these guys that were starring in the NFL. And then you see them standing next to one of the seven, you know, the, the 11th or 12th graders that were there. And you're like, man, if you would have just kind of given me a blind taste test here, I might have been able to just say that guy's the NFL guy, not him. And it, it really shows you. Just the the elite athleticism so many players in this country have. And when you put them all together at the opening finals, I mean, it, we're almost spoiled by having 150 of the best players all in one site. And five years later, that group is the group that's getting drafted. I remember the Chase Young year when he was at the opening finals. And, you know, him and Jalen Phillips were the two best pass rushers there. And, you know, two years later, three years later, Chase Young is a counselor at the opening finals last year. And then this year he goes second in the draft. And it's like I remember watching that guy three or four years ago and he was as close to a sure thing as I've seen at the opening finals. And so it's always fascinating. It's just, it's sad we're not going to have the opening finals at this point or not, um, because you just like to see that next crop of guys that are going to be the best of the best. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. What's interesting about Chase Young is he went to DeMatha. Do you, do you remember who uh, he pl uh, played high school ball with at DeMatha? Wasn't there a basketball player he played with that was pretty elite? Mark Fultz. Mark, there you go. There you yeah, go. Yeah. He probably shoots free throws better than Mark Fultz still, too. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, you talk about players back from the old days. We had a chance uh, a little bit earlier today to talk to, um, you know, the defensive back coach at University of Washington, Will Harris. And it, it's just a sign that we're getting old. You covered Will Harris as a recruit, Brandon. Yes. Yes. Give me a scouting report on Will Harris. I told him we'd get a scouting report. So what I remember about Will is, you know, he came, he was from the San Gabriel Valley and he played, I think at, I want to say he was at Charter Oak High School, might've been Charter Oak. Um, 
out in, in Covina, where I went to college in, in Azusa, at Azusa Pacific, and Covina was right down the road. Um, you know, he was a really good corner that I think, you know, if he had stayed healthy, he would have probably had a longer career in the NFL. Um, you know, that was when SC, they weren't recruiting then. They were just evaluating. I mean, basically, SC offered a kid. The kid would commit. It was a matter of did they make the right offer. And Will Harris was definitely one of those. He was one of the best DBs. That 2005 class was, was pretty special, too, in Southern California. I mean, you had Deshaun Jackson in that class. You had um, Mark Sanchez in that class. Will was in that class. Um, gosh, I want to say Ray Maluga might have been in that class as well. Um, it was one of the, the best classes out West and that we've seen in a long time. So, you know, a guy like Will maybe gets overlooked a little bit because the just the, the sheer talent that was in California in that class. Um, and in fact, if I remember right, there were two Harrises that went in that class. I want to say he was in the same class as Kerry Harris, who played at Notre Dame, um, Notre Dame High School, and then went on to play at USC. Now he's the head coach at Calabasas High School. But I mean, that class, you know, it, it had Brian Cushing was in that class. It had uh, Kevin Thomas, who started at safety for USC. Patrick Turner, who was like the best receiver in the country. Um, and this is the, the guy that I think Washington fans will always love and remember, Luther Brown. If, if you guys need a refresher on Luther Brown, he was the one who, in Steve Sarkeesian's first game against USC as the head coach at Washington, I want to say he tackled Chris Polk for a loss or a short gain and flexed his arms and celebrated it. And then the next play, Washington kicked the field goal to beat USC and beat Pete Carroll in Husky Stadium, but I just remember like there here's a guy who basically stopped a running back in field goal ranges celebrating when his team's about to lose. And so Luther Brown was another guy in that class with Maluga, with Brian Cushing. Um, didn't quite have the stuff, but Will Harris was a part of that class, a top 100 guy. Um, you know, looking back at the old rankings, he was top 10 in the state that year. And that was a year where USC just literally they cleaned house with the exception of, you know, Deshaun Jackson and Marlon Lucky, they got the top eight players in the state. Will Harris is one of them. Um, versatile DB. So, yeah, this is a long time because a lot of these guys are on television now. <laughs> when you look at some of these guys, when like a Will Harris and, you know, uh, some of these guys, you know that if they venture into the coaching realm, they're going to be really good coaches. I don't think there was any doubt if Kellen Moore wanted to be a coach, he would be a really good one. Jake Browning is another guy that I think if he ever gets into coaching would be a quality coach. Who are some of the other young guys that you think might at some point wind up being really good football coaches? Yeah, I mean, Kirby Moore would have been another name that I would have said, like Kellen, you know, coach's kid. You could see see it there. Um, you know, I, I think that when – the, the time is, is ready for him to be a coach. I think a guy like Ben Burke-Curvin is going to be a awesome linebackers coach and future defensive coordinator. I mean, just has that savvy. And, you know, and if people on Dogman remember when there was a lot of talk about why U, UW didn't offer Fotu Leatu out of Stillicum back there, back then, I kept saying, hey, you know, this linebacker they got out of the Bay Area is pretty darn good. Now, I didn't expect him to ever be the Pac-12 defensive player of the year, but he was a guy that just was so smart. I mean, instinctually, the way he was able to die dissect and, diagram, uh, and, and uh, just read plays and, and read what the quarterback was doing, read what the offense was doing. You could just see he was smarter than everybody else. And so he'll be that guy that'll probably carve out a long career in the NFL. And then when he's done, he'll slide right into being a really good coach, whether it's in the NFL, it's in college. I'd love to see because I think personality wise, he's you know the kind of coach you'd love to have 
as a college coach because, you know, he's got that personality that, you know, isn't over the top. It isn't boisterous, but he's really smart, really savvy. And you can tell he'll be able to develop guys because he understands the mental side of football as much as he does the physical side of football. And you put that together and that's the kind of guy you want coaching in college. You want him to be able to develop guys. You want him to be able to spend three or four years, you know, making these guys better as football players. And, and you know, he kind of is the perfect Pete Kwiatkowski type of football player that, that PK used to recruit to Boise State, you know, that PK was when he was in high school. And, and I think that, you know, Ben Burkirvin's a guy that I could see being a coach down the line. But I also think Buddha could be a great coach down the line. Another guy that I think was, he's smarter than mostly everybody out on the football field. And, you know, just another one of those kind of that quiet assassin that you could just see as a recruiter. He'd be kind of just laying low, hiding under the service, then bam, a week before signing day, he'd start landing stars from here and from there and from everywhere. So Buddha and Ben Burkirvin are two future coaches, in my opinion. A couple of things before we wind this up, but uh, JT Tuomalau is the number one overall player in the country. What makes him special? <sighs> I mean, he, you're, here you have a guy who's 6'5", 270 pounds, who's got, you know, the feet of a basketball player, which he is, you know, he's got magical footwork. He can rush off the edge. You can drop into coverage. He could be an elite tight end. He'd be the best tight end in the country if that's what he focused on. I mean, he's just a gamer. You know, here's a kid that didn't lift weights until he turned 16 years old. It's not like he's been in a factory since he was a, child trying to become this you know just this protege uh you know elite football he's a guy that i I think still has tremendous amount of upside hasn't even reached how good he can be but he's just got such a high football iq he's got you know just this incredible ability to you know make play after play after play i remember he's a freshman he had a play in back-to-back plays at Husky Stadium. In fact, it was his first game as a freshman. They're playing Gonzaga Prep in the uh, Emerald City Kickoff Classic. He gets a sack, and then the next play, he he, uh, he blitzes off the edge, gets a sack, and then the next play drops into coverage and dra- uh, grabs the running back for a short two-yard gain. I mean, you don't see a lot of guys that can do that at, at a high level as freshmen in high school with as big as they were. And just even then, you could see in that first game as a freshman that this was a special player. You know, he can rush the passer. He can get into coverage. You know, he can take on blocks. He can shed his blockers. He can get into the backfield. You can play downfield. He can play, you know, just about anywhere. You line him up, D-tackle, D-end, outside backer, inside backer. He's even played safety on the seven-on-seven circuit. He's just a, a unique specimen. I remember the first time I saw Sam Heward, it was in between eighth and ninth grade. And when I saw his throwing motion, I mean, to me, it was the equivalent of watching Ken Griffey Jr. swing the bat. It was just, wow. I mean, he wasn't very big. He wasn't very strong, but mechanically he was perfect. And, you know, I was talking to Sam a couple of weeks ago and it's kind of funny, the resources he has between his dad who played in the NFL for a long time and his uncle played in the NFL and his dad's business partners with the the Dan Marino about football. Can you imagine being a high school quarterback and just being able to call Dan Marino and talk about football? Yeah, I mean that that's what's so great about that like you can just talk about all kinds of pressure and you know when you look at Sam, I mean the amount of pressure he's under being the son and the nephew of local legends and you know former NFL quarterbacks and then you know just the pressure that's been on him since he committed to Washington two years ago. You go call Dan Marino, I mean I don't think there's ever been a quarterback who's been under the microscope like Dan Marino has 
And, and I mean, yes, I know people are going to come on here and argue and say, well, what about this guy? What about that guy? I mean, Dan Rita is widely considered the best quarterback to never win a Super Bowl. So therefore, he has been under a large microscope microscope for years. And Sam can just call him like, hey, how do you deal with this? How do you deal with that? And I think that that's something that, you know, you can't really discount in terms of the mental maturation that Sam continues to go under as he becomes a Husky quarterback, even though he's still in high school. You learn about kind of all ways in which you can refine yourself as a football player. It's funny because when you talk to him, he's an aw shucks, nice, polite kid. But don't let that fool you. He's competitive as hell. Oh, yeah. And I think that that's what's great about him. It's like I this year I saw a different Sam on the seven on seven circuit. Usually it was the Oshucks kind of guy. This year he was getting a little more ish to him, you know, and kind of getting annoyed by opposing teams and opposing coaches that were talking trash and started coming out of his shell a little bit more, which I was like, dude, I like seeing a little bit of an a-hole in there. Oh, he's got it. Um, a couple of years ago, um, I was up at his dad's winery and uh, Sam was uh, carrying wine out to my car. So I took <laughs> my phone out, was going to take a picture of him schlepping wine out to my car. And he looks at me, he goes, are you really going to take a picture of me doing this? Mr. Grenolds <laughs> said, only if you call me Mr. Grenolds again, Mr. <laughs> so Grenolds. Yeah, I've got that picture somewhere black man file that I have. But, uh, yeah, he's just, I mean, when I see him, you know, he's got a long ways to go. But, I mean, is that hard to teach that? Is, or is that just natural ability to have that kind of a throwing motion? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, I'm, I'm referring to my son here. When he was in ninth grade, we were at a seven-on-seven tournament. Keep in mind, I had taken, like I said, I'd taken my son to a number of camps, games, seven-on-seven tournaments over the years. And as we were leaving French Field, he said, Dad, that lefty, he didn't know his name at the time. Dad, that lefty, every camp you take me to, that's the prettiest throwing motion I've ever seen. And I'm like, you know, that's, that's hard to argue. And there's something about – I'm a righty. My brother's a lefty. And so he's always said that left-handed swings in baseball are always the prettiest. And so while everybody on this podcast probably thinks Ken Griffey does, I mean, he might, Mike Trout is prettier. Um, my brother was always, you know, Ken Griffey was his favorite player and his is like Ken Griffey, Dave justice. They just had such pretty things. There's been, there's something about the lefty throw, you know, Michael Vick to me had one of the most beautiful throwing motions ever because he could just let it rip. But I mean, Sam, it's just, it's so, so smooth, so pretty. And, his arms getting stronger each and every year he plays and those deep balls are getting deeper and deeper and he's throwing that ball further and further. And uh, again, I mean, I hate to undersell it or I feel like I'm not, and I hate to oversell it, but I think Sam Hewer is going to have a fine football career at Washington and at the level after that. Yeah. And if he's not starting day one, um, he's not going to be Brian whining and sulking either. So no, <laughs> no portal. Just- <laughs> He's built right. But one more guy before I let you go. Uh, Washington uh, just got a new commit, a guy named Robert Worsh. When I found out who it was, um, I mean, I'm going 100 miles an hour. Who is this kid? Who's Robert Worsh? Robert Worsh is an offensive lineman out of the Santa Cruz area, out of Soquel High School. I think he's only like the second uh, Division One player that they've had in, gosh, 20 years. The only other kid that they had was went to Lamar, which was an FCS program in like 2008 and maybe even before that. Um, he's a 6'7", 260-pound kid. Uh, I wrote a story about him about a month ago. First kind of found him in February before he had any offers and, you know, put an evaluation on him, put a rating on him uh, as a three-star before he had, I think his first offer was like a 
Ivy League school or maybe San Jose State. But, you know, he's one of those guys that I think as the spring evaluation period in a traditional year would have been a guy that a lot of coaches would have gone to see how he looked in person and probably would have ended up with more offers had there been an evaluation period to see if he's truly 6'7". And everything that I've heard is that he is legitimately 6'6", 6'7"-ish with length, with a, with a lot of upside. And I put my player comp as Ezra Cleveland, who was kind of a similar player, you know, was overlooked largely uh, in recruiting, kind of was out. You know, Spanaway's not necessarily in the boonies, but it's also not the most accessible place in the world. And SoQual being out of a, you know, the Santa Cruz suburb, it's not like we're a San Jose or San Francisco or Oakland kid up in Northern California. So he's a little bit more off the beaten path and uh, a player that, you know, he reeks of upside because he's still relatively new to the game of football, was a basketball player mostly, and, you know, still learning the game, but tremendous amount of upside. And if you're going to give me a 6'7", 260, 270-pounder, and with the frame that's going to support another 30 pounds, I'll take it. And adds body yeah mom is too no no so no stranger to the weight room correct both mom and dad are are competitive bodybuilders so you know there's probably like most kids it's that and i think he's the younger of two boys so he's probably had to you know learn how to fight for what's his against his big brother so you know a lot there that i think is going to be for scott huff to really have an you know scott huff was the guy who recruited ezra cleveland to boise state so i think he kind of likes those guys that maybe are a little less known as others and develops them and obviously he only had ezra for a year but he was the one that you know brought him into boise state and you know i think you, you look at what he likes to do in developing offensive linemen this is something that is kind of a perfect combination all right, a couple things, just real quick, rapid fire before I let you go. One of your favorite topics. Uh, I'm going to name a city. You tell me where you're going to eat. Where are you going down, down in Portland? You're going to Portland. Where are you going to eat? <sighs> That's a tough one. I would probably say I'm going to Dave's uh, Dave's Barbecue in, uh, in I guess that's East Portland. Not Dave's Barbecue. Um, Matt's Barbecue. Sorry, Dave. I'm thinking Famous Dave's because – Somebody tweeted about how bad it was earlier in the week. Matt's Barbecue in Portland. Uh, it's one of the best barbecue I've had outside of the state of Texas. Brisket, their jalapeno cheddar sausage, ribs, you name it. To so the food truck, little little food truck, uh, enclave of about eight other food trucks. But Matt's Barbecue, that's the place to go in Portland. Bay Area. Bay Area, no question. I am going to Ike Sandwiches. That's usually my first stop, whether I fly into San Francisco, I fly into Oakland, I fly into San Jose. I'm getting myself an Ike Sandwich. L.A. Tommy's Hamburgers. Yes, that's right. Tommy's is better than In-N-Out. <laughs> it's better than Shake Shack? It is better than Shake Shack. Tommy's is the best hamburger in the United States of America, Kim. All right. Vegas. Vegas. Hey, there's a Shake Shack in Vegas. Uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Normally, I would say uh, a joint that you can get only there. Usually, the first stop Biggins and I go to and Blair go to when we land for an event is we go to um, Raising Cane's and get that just north of the Vegas airport. We usually get ourselves some, some uh, Raising Cane's, but We've been to this restaurant quite a few times on our trips down there. The uh, Mesa Grill at Caesars Palace, the Bobby Flay restaurant, has been a, a favorite of ours for numerous years on the uh, on the camp circuit. So I would say probably if I'm going cheap, uh, Raising Cane's. If I'm going expensive, Mesa Grill. Salt Lake City. Is there a place in Salt Lake City? 
I think there's a Chick-fil-A at the airport. <laughs> okay. How about when you venture in from the burb and get into Seattle? Anywhere you like to go when you're in Seattle? You know, I, my favorite place in Seattle to eat, is, it's even though it's the south part of the town. I love Jack's Barbecue. I'm a big barbecue fan. I know you and I talk about barbecue every time I head down to San Antonio or Dallas for the opening. But I love Jack's Barbecue in Georgetown, and I'm super excited because they just – did a pop-up that they're building into a full grown restaurant here in Algona. Uh, I live in Auburn, so it's right off 167 uh, in Algona and they're turning an old, uh, old pub and eatery into a Jack's barbecue. But if again, if you like Texas barbecue, that's the place to go. I'm a big fan of Jack's and I love when I can get the, the Texas Trinity of sausage, ribs and brisket and some good sides on top of that. All right. Anything else we need to cover before I let you go, Brandon? Hey, Folks, stay home or stay where you need to so we can have football. Because if we have to go a few more months and there's no football, I think we're all going to go completely back crazy. All right. Uh, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kim Grenolds along with Brandon Huffman. Brandon, thanks for tuning in. Thanks a lot, Kim. Appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.